Hey tennis fans and welcome to another special Rogers Cup edition of Match Point Canada. Along with Ben Lewis, I'm Mike McIntyre and we're ready to recap all the big moments happening in both Montreal and Toronto and there's no shortage given what transpired here on Tuesday. As always, you can find us on Twitter at MatchPointCan, you can find Ben at BenLewisSN590 and you can find me at ProTennisFan. Aside from the latest Rogers Cup news, we've also got a special guest today on the podcast. And Ben, I'll let you tell our listeners about that one. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I know you had a great opportunity to speak with current world number seven, Alina Svitolina, who's coming off, obviously, that incredible run in Wimbledon where she reached her first uh, Grand Slam semifinal. So we will hear from Alina uh, later in this episode. But I think we got to start with uh, what transpired last night at Aviva Center, the all-Canadian clash that we were getting so hyped up for, Jeannie Bouchard versus Bianca Andreescu. Bianca moving on with a 4-6-6-1-6-4 win, and I, I think it was, as advertised, a uh, really thrilling, high-drama, high-tension match. I think it lived up to the billing, which was obviously, you know, the tournament's going to pump it up, Tennis Canada's going to pump it up, because ticket sales, obviously, and, and two Canadians facing each other in a big center court matchup. But I think a lot of people were kind of skeptical. Would it be able to live up to that hype? Would Jeannie be able to, to raise her level to play against a top 30 player, albeit one who's coming back from a lengthy injury absence? And, and I would say from, from my perspective watching that match that it exceeded my expectations, that although the result is the one that I think we were kind of expecting, mm-hmm. the quality of the match and the fact that it got pushed to three sets was, uh, was a nice added bonus. Yes, uh, I think it was great for tennis that they did hang out there for for a a long period of time with that three-set match. Uh, Bianca producing that comeback. Big quality first set from Jeannie Bouchard winning at 6-4. She's looking for some confidence and... uh, I want to say she's resetting her season a little bit because she's added the new coach in Jorge Tadero over these past few weeks. So uh, she's starting that process uh, again and hoping to have a nice summer and fall. And for Bianca Andrescu, it's her just coming back, testing that body, you know, we know how different match play is versus practice. She's looked great in practice as we saw over the past couple of days, but match play experience center court of Eva Center is a completely different animal. I think she held held uh, her nerve very well and really took over after that first set. She had a series where she won six consecutive games and uh, Jeannie couldn't quite pull the uh, comeback in the in the end there. Yeah, Jeannie did what she had to do to start the match. I mean, she raced out to a, a two-love, you know, early break, yep. catching Bianca, you know, shaking off the rust, being a little bit nervous, I'm sure, playing in front of the home ca- crowd uh, as well here in Toronto. Uh, and so for Jeannie, taking that first set was, you know, key. She She had to to have any chance. But then as it went on, you could tell that Bianca was starting to round back into form, get comfortable, let her shots fly with a little bit more authority and and feel at ease on the court. And she spoke after the match about uh, how it felt to play in front of her home crowd. One of the best feelings, really, to be able to play in front of my home crowd is always a special feeling. Um, I've had memory memories here. Um, I played two years ago on that court. Um, So I had a bit of experience of what to expect, but today was crazier than usual because I was playing a Canadian too. Um, I'm just really happy with how I played today. So there you have Bianca Andreescu talking after her victory over Jeannie Bouchard about what it meant to her to play on center court, the experience. Uh, She mentioned that she had played there two years prior, but so much has changed in that time 
now she's much more well known to the Canadian fans and fans around the world and coming in with bigger expectations too. So a different type of pressure this time around from 2017. Yes, she really was and, and is the, the face of this tournament. If you think about it, what she produced in 2019 all started in Auckland, but getting the title at Newport Beach, the true breakout at, at Indian Wells. She was the Canadian player, is the Canadian player. People are down to see native of Mississauga. So she has the connection uh, with the Toronto crowd and with the greater Toronto area in, the, in that aspect. Two years ago, as you said, uh, she was a great junior player, an excellent junior player, but still an, an unknown commodity. And now she's not just known in Canada. Uh, she's known as a staple of the WTA Tour and uh, within the top 30 and hopefully rising. I, I think it sets up a nice opportunity for her as she gets prepared for Daria Kasakina in the second round. Yeah, so much to look forward to with, uh, with Bianca. She's only 19 years old, just recently turned 19. I mean, she's got plenty of Rogers Cups ahead of her. It's interesting. Jeannie's playing in her or just played in her 12th Rogers Cup already because she started getting wild cards at such a young age. And Bianca certainly, you know, if she can stay healthy and, and hopefully have the career that, that we're seeing is, is possible for her, many more opportunities as well. But it is the first year where her face is all over the tournament. Everywhere you look, you're going to see something uh, with Bianca Andreescu on it. And uh, she seems to really enjoy that and is carrying the pressure, I think, as well as, as you could ask. And then on the other side, Jeannie Bouchard, different for her being the first year where it's not her being the poster child for uh, the tournament and uh, a little bit more anonymity, which might be, you know, not a bad thing for her. And I thought she handled the moment well last night. I really enjoyed seeing the two of them, you know, sort of give each other a hug at the end of it all. And uh, after the match, Jeannie seemed, you know, pretty upbeat, all things considered. Yeah, I, I thought she took a lot of positives from from this match. She's seeing it as a strong result for herself. Someone who's just hired on a new coach. You're dealing with an eight-match losing skid, and, and then you're coming to Rogers Cup and having to face not only a, a fellow Canadian, but an ex excellent player in, in Andrescu. So uh, we'll hear from Jeannie Bouchard just at the front end of her press conference about her result and how she was feeling. I think it was a solid match from me and you know the best I've played since uh, I've come back from my injury um, you know she's 20 in the world she's a great player so to battle with her till 6-4 in the third um, gives me confidence and uh, just motivates me to work even harder no that was really really cool um, to play a fellow Canadian in Canada to have you know a sold out crowd um, and to feel the love and I don't know if she got a bit more fan support than me tonight, but I felt the love out there. And, um, yeah, I'm so happy she's back, and I'm happy to, you know, um, continue playing with, with a, another Canadian at the top, and uh, it's fun, you know. So there you have it, Jeannie Bouchard, who, as you said, I, I think it is favorable for her to not be the face of Canadian tennis right now to not have the limelight all over her. Of course, it's going to exist for this match when you're playing center court Aviva Center against a fellow Canadian, but but Jeannie Bouchard is looking to kind of lay groundwork for the rest of her season and string together some match wins, and I think she can do it. I, I'm not looking for, you know, big-time results out of her going forward at tournaments, you know, making semifinals or finals, but I do think she's going to snap that losing skid very soon. I think she's got to get back to playing Playing, uh, matches in tournaments where she's giving herself a, a good chance to get some victories, whether it's uh, going down and playing some lower level WTA tournaments or mm -hmm. even some ITF type events to just really get the confidence going again and the belief in herself. 
she couldn't get the upset against Bianca Andreescu last night, but uh, there were plenty of other upsets that have been happening here in Toronto, as is often the case when we see the transition from many players coming off the grass at Wimbledon. Some of the top seeds elect not to play any warm-up hardcourt tournaments leading into the Rogers Cup, and that produces some moments like we saw yesterday and uh, the night before as well in Toronto, which, uh, you know, lots to talk about, um, but but match results that are, are shocking, to say the least. Yeah, certainly surprising, I think, for fans uh, really getting their first look probably in Toronto of, of Ashley Barty, who is the newly crowned number one with the French Open title and a grass court title to her name. Uh, I certainly think she was one of those fresher faces, even if she does have the tour experience for people to see. And Sophia Kennan is a name we know and, and we've discussed a little bit, but probably fans are pretty surprised to see this young American take out Ashley Barty uh, on center court. And, and Kennan, for her season, she really played her best tennis on clay. She had to meet her signature win beating Serena Williams uh, to get to the round of 16 at Roland Garros. She also uh, won the Mallorca open so she's no slouch on the tennis court she's very aggressive she's smaller in stature but she's pretty feisty she goes for her shots and uh, Ashley Barty was uh, in a whirlwind of trouble in that match and then Kennan came out on top Kennan's turned into a real giant killer and uh, this one was some revenge because Barty got her earlier in the season um, so now evening up the score there but uh, Kennan is is one to watch she'll play the winner of Azarenka Yastremska in the next round and for Ash Barty uh, the number one ranking is up for grabs here in Toronto, yep. as it seems like it has been at so many points over the past uh, couple of years. And when asked about that uh, fact, about how she might you know, not be the number one by the end of the tournament, uh, Ash Barty said, I couldn't tell you from a bar of soap what's going on with the rankings. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that means, but uh, I've never heard that analogy. But uh, for Ash Barty, I think she's got the right mentality. Uh, you know, in press after the loss, she didn't seem down. She seemed pretty upbeat, realizing, hey... First tournament, you know, in the summer hardcore swing. And so I think while some have struggled with the pressure of being number one, most recently, obviously, Naomi Osaka, who alluded quite uh, clearly to that fact in a, a tweet earlier this week and impressed how she did find it stressful, wasn't sure how to deal with it, only now is starting to remind herself to have fun on the court. Ash Barty, to me, doesn't seem like the type of player who's going to be bothered by the fuss about carrying that number one ranking. No, I think she has a very short-term memory. I expect her to turn a page very, very quickly uh, in this fact and, and just kind of move along uh, and get set for you know Western and Southern Open and, and then off to Flushing Meadows. U.S. Open, where to me, she's still going to be one of those, you know, top eight, top 10 candidates to win that tournament. Uh, when you've accomplished what she has in the 2019 season, you're always going to be a favorite. Wherever you show up, I think she's going to turn the leaf very, very quickly. Naomi Osaka, uh, we have question marks as to what to expect uh, from her this tournament. Uh, she's had pretty good results at Rogers Cup in the past. And as you said, she had that tweet sort of uh, being very candid about her struggles with the pressure, but she's a two-time Grand Slam champion uh, and it's such a great opportunity to her uh, for her if she wants to uh, reclaim that number one ranking she'll uh, begin her tournament today against Tatiana Maria and there were lots of other upsets we should also mention yes. uh, Angie Kerber Irina Sabalenka Sloane Stevens went out late uh, Tuesday night mm -hmm. Madison Keys uh, all those top sort of seeds that fell early opening up the draw giving some others some opportunity 
And um, not that they were expected to win, but big names in Venus Williams and Maria Sharapova. Um, Sharapova played a really close match against Annette Contivate. Uh Lots of positives for her, I think, to take out of that one, including the fact she got through it without injury. Uh, Venus Williams kind of went out meekly to Carla Suarez Navarro. You have to wonder for tennis fans in Toronto, what are the chances we see either one of those two still playing in two years when the WTA Tour returns here? Yeah, certainly the chances are higher that we see Maria Sharapova uh, return. I think she kind of relished the fight uh, on center court with Annette Contivate. She likes being in those types of matches. Center court, sort of three-set battles, uh, and uh, was right with her till the end. They had this 15-minute marathon game at, at 4-4 uh, where Contivate got the break, and ultimately the Estonian picked up the win. But uh, she seems eager, if her health can allow it, to... Uh, grind on the WTA for at least a couple more seasons or more. Venus Williams, I would love to say we're going to see her in two years' time. It's just unbelievable to me that she's still able to compete uh, on the tour today and still compete uh, at a high level. It was a tough first round for her. Carlos Suarez Navarro is certainly no slouch. She's a great tennis player in her own right. So Venus is less likely. She would be in her 40s uh, two years' time. So if she's playing at that point, uh, kudos to her because uh, she's an un- unbelievable inspiration, I think, for all American tennis players and-, and any tennis player up and coming in general. Oh, stranger things have been seen. I mean, John McEnroe came out of retirement to say, play some doubles in his 50s and even <laughs> won a tournament in San Jose with, I believe it was Jonas Bjorkman yeah. uh, when he was uh, a quasi I senior citizen and Martina Navratilova, who was a champion many times here in Canada. She actually won her first Rogers Cup doubles title in 1981 and won her last in 2006, which is a 25 year gap, which is just astounding. I mean, we're talking obviously about some of the greats all time in the sport, and you've got to put Venus Williams in that category. Mm -hmm. And obviously, her sister Serena in that category, if not leading that category. And the 23-time Grand Slam champion will finally get her Rogers Cup underway today uh, with a tricky opening opponent in Elise Mertens. Yeah, I think it's uh, honestly a good uh, draw for Serena Williams to get a nice test early against a a hard-hitting Belgian like Elise Mertens, who who can be very dangerous. She made the Australian Open semifinal uh, over a year ago. She also picked up her first Premier title earlier this year. I want to say it was in Doha. So uh, Serena will be on high alert to start this tournament, which is good. And we talked about the importance of matches in between Grand Slams for her. She needs match play if she wants to have that complete breakthrough and tie that record of Margaret Court. She's been so close. Three of the past five Grand Slams, we have seen her in the final and a center court opportunity for her in, in Toronto at the Aviva Center. Unbelievable that 17 years ago uh, she was Rogers Cup champion. Yeah, she has had three uh, Rogers Cup uh, victories, the most recent coming in uh, 2013. And uh, like you said, it's not going to be easy for her. If I get caught up in looking ahead in the draw, which I cannot help but do, a uh, U.S. Open final rematch in the quarterfinals kind of looms with Naomi Osaka. That would be wonderful to watch. But uh, how often do we, you know, get excited for matches that don't come to be? So yeah, let's not forgive jinx me it. for probably <laughs> jinxing that one uh, right right now. I I do apologize on that. Uh, one other player that we uh, mentioned at the start of the episode, uh, world number seven Alina Svitolina, who recently made her first Grand Slam semifinal at Wimbledon, was kind enough to stop in and chat with me uh, yesterday. And so uh, why don't we throw to the audio and we'll talk a little bit afterwards about uh, where she's at right now. So, Alina, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Uh, Got to start right off the bat with Jem's uh, life, which is something that uh, people on Twitter, social media, tennis fans in general seem to have really taken to over the last little while. Can you tell us how did that come about? Whose idea between the two of you and uh, where, where you see that going in the future? Well, uh, obviously, the um, the idea was from the most creative person in the relationship. It's a uh, Gael, <laughs> but um, you know, it uh, came up uh, with uh, just um, uh, from the first thing. It was uh, because we wanted to share uh, with the fans and uh, try to you know to give something back. And uh, we're doing um, some stuff uh, that we try to to share with fans and to try to do some charity events as well. He helps me a lot with my foundation as well, so which is uh, amazing. So it's uh, something yeah we want to give back and uh, what we can control, uh, and uh, that's it. And being that you're both two professional tennis players, it must help you both in different ways to bring things out of each other, being that you're such different people. Yeah, as you say, we are very different on uh, on the when we're on the court and uh, off the court thing we have different mentality but uh, it's not bad i think it's just uh, uh add up um, to to our personality it uh, helps me to to relax a little bit because uh, you know sometimes i can be t- too tough on myself and um in the same time you know i just try to to work really hard um, every time that uh, i go on court and that's that's my mentality that's what helps me to to improve i think and uh, he helps me a lot uh, also uh, when i had um, some injuries um, it was a difficult time for me so he he knows how to how to handle it and uh, helped me a lot yeah, he's unfortunately been through several of those in his career uh, any possibility down the road of a mixed doubles pairing or is it just too busy with your singles commitments both of you well, for the moment, uh, I don't think it's um, happening for the um, at least uh, U.S. Open. Maybe um, next year we will done, but not not so sure because uh, there is a high risk uh, of injury. And um, yeah, we try to just to focus on the singles first, and then later, um, I'm sure it's uh, it's possibly can happen. Now you mentioned Wimbledon and just recently you had the uh, best run you've had so far in your career to Grand Slam making the semi-finals there. How much positivity do you take out of that experience uh, at the All England Club? It definitely was a big step for me. I I was struggling with my health and uh, l- it teach me a lot to be patient, to work really hard and uh, try to control what uh, what is in uh, in my power and uh, that's what really helped me to to play well and uh, I think uh, it was a good step for me in the right direction. The WTA Tour seems to be so deep right now in terms of the talent level. I mean, if you look at a, a draw at really any tournament across the board and you're getting first, second round matches, that would be wonderful finals to watch even. How much has the um, quality of play on tour changed since you came on the tour? Definitely, uh, we had a massive change. Everyone is uh, is extremely fit. Everyone is traveling with three, four coaches, uh, which is, uh, you know, I don't think been uh, before. And um, I think that's why everyone is fit. Everyone is ready. Everyone is extremely motivated. So I think this uh, really uh, raised uh, the level and uh, the players are extremely fit. So that's why I think uh, everyone is uh, is very dangerous to play in, in doesn't matter which uh, stage of the um, tournament. Tennis goes through so many changes, things like Hawkeye for review, um, on-court coaching, this Fed Cup changes that are coming. Uh, what's something that you would like to see personally perhaps adjust or change on the uh, the professional tennis circuit? I think so far it's uh, going in the right uh, direction. Not so sure about the, the coaching because uh, you know, at the beginning I was uh, already not so sure about this, but 
it's uh, I think uh, we, we try new things it's it's important to know uh, and to, to see how it works and that's uh, how we learn and move forward in terms of um, Canada in particular and the success that you've had here before both in Montreal making the semis last year and obviously two years ago you're basically the defending champion here uh, from your win in 2017 how much do you enjoy coming here to this country both in terms of your performance in the tennis and just what you can enjoy outside of the court as well Definitely, I have great memories coming to uh, to Toronto. It was an amazing run for me uh, last time I was here in Montreal as well. Last year I played uh, some great tennis, and uh, I'm enjoying uh, uh, being in Canada. And uh, you know, the fans are amazing here. It makes an extremely special atmosphere anytime you play, and uh, that's why it's really enjoyable. Last question for you is uh, the last time I, I met up with you was in New York City at the tiebreak tennis event uh, a year ago, right when Serena Williams was making her return to the game. And at the time you spoke about how eager you were to face her once again, if you could. That hasn't happened yet, I believe. How much are you looking forward to, to facing Serena Williams at uh, another point here uh, down the road? Definitely. You know, she's an um, amazing uh, player and uh, great champion so for sure I want to face uh, the the players like this to you know to to compete against them and uh, the same I think with with Maria it's um, yeah it's it's always uh, uh, amazing opportunity to play against against them thank you very much Alina for taking the time with us today on Matchpoint Canada we really appreciate it and uh, wish you all the best the rest of the season thank you so there you have it Alina Svitolina stopping by to talk with us here at Matchpoint Canada and uh, I had to open up and, and start the interview uh, about Gem's life because so many people are enjoying seeing that side of Alina Svitolina who's very business like on court but in her relationship with Gael Monfils who is just like the magician on court and a very personable guy off the court they're both bringing things out of each other and having some fun with that on social media. And uh, she mentions that a mixed doubles pairing is possible, not this year, but maybe down the road at Wimbledon, which I think would be kind of cool to see two big singles players like that who also happen to be in a relationship um, you know, going into battle together. Yeah, it's an excellent contrast to personalities uh, between Monfils and Svitolina. They're becoming like the fan favorite couple, really, uh, in tennis right now. And... and for good reason. Mofis has been one of the greatest entertainers, I think, on the ATP for the past 10 or so years. Uh, people love going to his matches. Actually, we saw it in Montreal. He led uh, off one of the, the second night session, actually, in Montreal, uh, playing Canadian Peter Polanski. Polanski put up one heck of a fight, but they had a three-set battle, and, and Mofis just is such an entertainer, and that's a, <laughs> a combo uh, that we love to see between Svitolina and Mofis. I feel like Alina is a little more soft-spoken, a little more quiet, really focused on her tennis, and, and Mofis probably reminds her to uh, have a laugh now and then and really enjoy it. Well, no surprise when I asked whose idea it was. Uh, she said, well, it's the creative one in the relationship, and you know <laughs> who that is, clearly. So, uh, yeah. Now, Svitolina is uh, is back in Canada where she's played really well in the past, making the semifinals in Montreal last year. And in Toronto in 2017, she beat a very impressive array of players to capture the title, beating Venus Williams, Garbine Muguruza. She destroyed Simona Halep 6-1, 6-1 in the semis, and then easily defeated Wozniacki 6-4, 6-love in the finals. She usually 
plays well in events that she's had prior success. So I would keep a very close eye on her this week here in Toronto. Yeah, certainly. She is the defending Toronto champion, if you can call her that, which she certainly is. Granted, she didn't win the title last year, but 2017 was one of her uh, signature seasons on tour premier mandatory titles and uh, this is one of those opportunities uh, world number seven Ukrainian player uh, if she's playing her best she can beat absolutely anybody on tour uh, so she is certainly a threat to hoist the title by the end of the week you are listening to match point Canada I'm Mike McIntyre he's Ben Lewis normally recording every Monday night and bringing you weekly podcasts but during the Rogers Cup we are here every day bringing you all the action from Montreal and Toronto why don't we transition to the ATP tour and see uh, what has been going on over in Montreal and just like we had a all Canadian matchup which was kind of the focus uh, here where we're based at the Aviva Center in Toronto similar in Montreal where a veteran Vashik Pospisil put up a much bigger fight than expected against Felix Oje Aliassim. Yeah, what a fantastic match between two competitors. Uh, Vashik Pospisil, uh, 11 years older than Felix Oje Aliassim, really uh, for Felix, almost the debut in Montreal uh, for the home crowd, and everybody was flocking to see this match, seeing FAA, who, you know, many pundits, many experts believe he could be a future Grand Slam champion, perhaps a future number one. We don't want to put that kind of pressure on him, but he's a immensely talented and Vashik Pospisil we're talking about eight months away from the tour he came back and played Wimbledon he had to play Felix Ojeale his team first round of Wimbledon pushed him to four sets there I thought that was impressive uh, you wonder if Pospisil was almost rolling his eyes saying are you kidding me when he first saw the draw having to deal with Felix such a physical player once again but he really held his own I thought it was a great result for him bowing out in uh, three sets 6-3 6-7 six, 7-6 six, win for uh, Felix but Vashik knowing that he was right there competing with one of the best ATP players of the season has to give him confidence moving forward that maybe he can firstly return to that top 100 and you know maybe make headway towards the top 50. He looked so gutted after the match because he gave absolutely everything he had and came so close to defeating Felix, which would have been really a monumental upset. I mean, we tweeted out somebody go and give Vashik a hug because he certainly looked like he needed it. But unbelievable to have all that time off eight months off the tour with injury come back and play a match like that so soon only his fourth match back I believe and um, lots to look forward to once he can get uh, a string of matches under his belt I think back into the top 100 is a very realistic possibility once he's had the chance to play some events whether it happens by the end of 2019 or not I think he's at an age where certainly he can still make that happen and to have you know potentially five Canadian men in the top 100 in singles is something that we never would have really imagined you know possible even just a few years ago so great to see Vashik back he's one of the nice guys in the sport he's been very passionate and outspoken this year as well about the need to uh, sort of improve sharing revenues with players and to make it you know more of a profitable career um, for players who are outside of the top 100 who have it so tough these days so kudos to him for speaking up and and really you know there aren't that many voices there aren't that many players who decide to speak up because they're either too busy with their training or staying focused on the matches and the tournaments. So really, I think it's impressive that he's decided to become one of those voices. Yeah, and uh, I highly recommend if you get a chance to, to read his piece, you can easily access it on his Twitter. Uh, he penned a piece for the Globe and Mail over the past week uh, detailing uh, revenue sharings uh, in the ATP and trying to make a living on tour if you're not one of the 50 or 100 best players. And uh, as much as it is a privilege 
privilege to be playing uh, professional tennis, knowing how much revenue, billions of dollars we're talking about as an industry uh, that both the ATP and WTA bring in, uh, that players should be getting their fair share. And he's looking for that type of equity, equality, uh, fair share for everyone across the board. So it's a, a very worthwhile campaign and we wish him the best. We had the opportunity to speak to him a few weeks ago on the podcast as well. That win for Felix setting up another Canadian showdown. Uh, almost unfortunate that this, that this is happening, really. But uh, Felix versus Milos Raonic uh, will happen today. Raonic started off his tournament with a nice 6-4, 6-4 win over Luca Pui. And uh, I thought he looked good in his first match. It's hard to really pinpoint a favorite between these two, actually. Although, when I look at this matchup, uh, now they've only played once before, and that was a Milos 6-4-6-4 victory in 2018 at Indian Wells. So much has changed since then. Yeah. Not so much for Milos, but so much has changed for Felix Oje Aliassime, who has skyrocketed up the rankings, has really found and developed his game, uh, physically matured and grown over that time as well. This is going to be a very different match than what we saw then. And I think Felix, despite the fact Milos is still ranked higher... I think Felix goes into this one as the favorite in terms of where their games are at the moment. How he handles the nerves again of playing in front of his hometown crowd, that remains to be seen. Uh, he has struggled at times against big servers, and if Milos serves like he did in the first round, that could be tricky for him. But I'm going to give Felix the slight advantage here, and certainly in terms of you know career ceiling and potential, Felix has so much to look forward to. Milos, with all the injuries, you wonder how many more years can he put his body through this? Yeah, that's uh, that's the big question. And uh, we saw it at Wimbledon once again. I, I mean, not that he retired with injury or, or actually pulled out, but his body was starting to give out on him in that loss to Guido Pela in the round of 16. Conditioning became an issue, whether it's the right leg, the left leg, the back. Uh, little nagging injuries that uh, if he's getting up every single day as a professional tennis player feeling serious pain, it must make it tough to go out there and grind day after day, week after week on the tour. And he's trying to find that balance of scheduling where he can remain healthy, he can peak at Grand Slams, but it's been very, very difficult. Uh, at least he got his tournament started off on the right foot with a nice win over Luca Pui and looked good in doing so. And we know how far that serve can take him. So certainly... Uh, uh, has a great chance as well uh, against Felix. I, I, I view that match as a coin flip. And we've got one more Canadian. We shouldn't forget one more Canadian no, we shouldn't. <laughs> in action in Montreal. That's Denis Shapovalov, who's taken on a uh, number two seed, uh, Dominic Team. Team, who's coming off a title in his hometown in Austria on clay, but has had hardcore success this year as well. Big time winning a Masters 1000 event. Uh, those two have played once before. That was in Acapulco a year ago on hard courts with Team winning in straight sets. Dennis obviously showed that he was getting back into form with his first round victory against Herbert. Hasn't had the greatest stretch since making the semis in Miami. Uh, this is going to be, I think, a really close match and a, a real dandy of a second round match in Montreal. Yeah, both uh, excellent shot makers, both one-handed backhands, a lot of flair, a lot of pizzazz on the court. I think we're going to see some spectacular rallies between the two. Dominic Team is one of the hardest hitting players on the men's tour. When he's dialed in, he's very, very difficult to beat. I think Dennis obviously recognizes he's the big time underdog in this match and we know he had a brutal stretch with the clay season and grass didn't quite work out for him but uh, I, I think he's kind of starting this point of the year is almost like a new year. Just uh, this latter half in 2019 hardcore swing leading into the US Open. He should take confidence from the fact he played 
well in Montreal so well two years ago, played well at the U.S. Open in the past. He is the, he is the underdog, but uh, we know his ability. If he's serving well, too, he can hang with teams. So I'm expecting a great match. And Dennis has a flair for the dramatic, both in his game and his fiery attitude, and he draws on crowd support like few other players can yes. do. And being back in Montreal, a city that basically adopted him as, as one of their, their own in Quebec uh, two years ago, that's going to give him an added boost. He's going to thrive off that. It'll be interesting to see how team uh, reacts to it because it's almost going to be sort of like a Davis Cup atmosphere yeah. getting behind Dennis, I think, in that matchup, which is going to be extremely interesting to watch. Number one seed Rafa Nadal also getting going, and he's the defending Rogers Cup champion from a year ago in Toronto. He's won in Montreal as well over the years. And with Roger and Novak uh, not playing in Canada this year, Nadal comes in as the fevi- uh, sorry the heavy favorite, doesn't he? Yeah, he has to view this, I think, as a prime opportunity to pick up uh, another Masters 1000. He leads the pack as the all-time record with 34, so he can add a 35th. And uh, Daniel Evans is a nice crafty player from Great Britain, mixes some slice as a nice one-hander. I don't think he can counteract the power of Nadal, uh, who has a pretty nice draw to, to get things rolling here. My question with Nadal is without Novak and without Federer in this draw, then I look down at the names and and I'm trying to decide who's more likely to stop him here. Is it one of the next-gen names uh, who are now more established and great players like a Tsitsipas or a Hachinov or a Medvedev? Or is it veterans maybe like a, a Chilich or a Nishikori or Isner who can play great tennis? Are they the guys who are going to get in the way? I, I'm wrestling with that idea. Well, as you mentioned, the draw looks pretty good for him through the first few rounds. Uh, a potential uh, semifinal against Pass would be interesting considering that yes. the uh, Greek up-and-coming star beat him earlier this year on clay of all surfaces. But I think the biggest test for Nadal, and this is fortunate for him, are all in the bottom half of the draw. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like... Uh, Kachanov, who played him so well last summer in Toronto in that marathon match, even though it was a straight set victory for Nadal, it went like two and a half hours long. You've got Vavrinka down there in the bottom half, Zverev, who's won in uh, Montreal before, Medvedev, Shapovalov, who's beaten him in Montreal too. So for Nadal, I think he's got a pretty good path to the last four in the tournament at least. And by that point, if he's hitting his stride and feeling good on hard courts, look out. Yes. Uh, also, Rogers Cup has really been probably his best hardcore event historically for him to win four titles here. You look uh, at his 82 titles now career-wise is, is pretty remarkable, but the bulk of those obviously coming on the clay court surface where he's gotten his hardcore titles historically have been a little spread out in different places and uh, he's always felt really comfortable in Canada. Two years ago was a different story. Denis Shapovalov beating him on center court. That was the mammoth upset uh, but he'll have great memories of, of Toronto just a year ago when he beat Pass in the final and I, I would love to see that semi-final rematch if possible. Fans are in for a real treat either way and this is the part of the tournament both in Montreal and Toronto where if you want to win you've got to win every day. There's no day off in between. There's no rest. Uh, All the top seeds in action. Everybody going. It's going to be some fantastic tennis. Uh, Any matches in particular that you are uh, looking forward to Ben? Uh, Well in terms of the men's side obviously you know I'd be excited to see an Nadal debut but uh, we have some other interesting matches on the go Daniel Medvedev who had a great result at the City Open uh, just last week reaching the finals playing Kyle Edmund who uh, should have some confidence beating Nick Kyrgios perhaps a fatigue Nick Kyrgios coming off that title in Washington I think that's a very fun matchup Borna Chorich is a great player um, 
he hasn't had the best of seasons, seen some results. He'll be playing Adrian Manorino. And then this is an awesome night match, actually, this evening. Stan Favrinka against Karen Hatchinoff, who we were just discussing, one of the hardest hitters on tour. Stan is beloved wherever he goes. That should be a very exciting thriller. So there's a lot of great matches already in the round of 32. And if we bring it back just for a second before we wrap up to the women's side, uh, Serena Williams is playing her uh, first match, as we mentioned. And I did want to throw to you on this one because you spoke with her coach, uh, Patrick. Uh, oh, my goodness. Moradoglu. Thank you. I, I always struggle <laughs> with that. Oh, name. yeah. No, no. He acknowledges uh, that he has such a difficult last name to pronounce and so many people get it wrong. But uh, yes, we had an opportunity to speak with him on Sportsnet 5, Nine of the Fan, uh, in the afternoon show yesterday and talking a little bit about Serena's mindset, where she is at, uh, how probably the first year coming off the birth of her first child w- was difficult, challenging. She's in a better place right now. And also just the importance of her coming to this tournament and being able to play matches. Uh, Patrick does feel like one of the sort of roadblocks over the past couple slams is not getting enough match play arriving to said Grand Slam. So they are very keen on tying and beating Margaret Court's record. It's very important to Serena. It's very important to Patrick. Uh, and what a great start it would be here if she could hoist a title in, in Toronto. I know that's a, a big focus for her. And that is one of those great coaching player partnerships, I think, of all time, given what they've been able to yep. accomplish. And uh, and that'll go down in history, I think, is a real special one. Uh, before we wrap up, we did want to mention that uh, today the Rogers Cup is partnering with Fila and and you can play to host Pride Celebration as part of their initiative to showcase that tennis is for everyone. And uh, really nice to see this happening. Very inclusive message. And certainly tennis is a sport uh, for everyone. Yep. And on that note, we want to say thank you to all of our listeners. There's certainly room for everyone here at Matchpoint Canada. And enjoy the great tennis in Montreal and Toronto. We'll check back with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.